Welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Welcome, everybody watching online, too. Thanks for being with us. And I'm excited to dive into our conversation called God and Money. We're going to wrap up this conversation this weekend, and excited to do that. I also want to tell you about next weekend. We're going to start a new series called Untamed, and we're going to be looking at some of the different emotions that we struggle with. Think of things like envy, hurt, anger, those kind of things that become untamed in our life. And when they do, they become barriers in our relationship with God and even more so kind of hurtful things or frustrating things in our relationships with each other. So the Bible actually has a lot to say about those things and we'll get into what and why and how to bring those things under God's definition and direction I think it's going to be a great series that we're going to be a part of. So that'll start next weekend. Uh, This weekend, as we finish up uh, this God and Money series, um, I'm excited to to walk you through this. We, We talk about why we talk about God and money. We do it kind of on a regular basis here at Grace. And the reason that we do that is because we're very committed to teaching the Bible And you can't teach the Bible without talking about God and money. Uh, So it's all through the Bible. And you cannot teach the teachings of Jesus without talking about God and money because Jesus talks about it a lot. So of of all the parables, 13 of them are about our relationship between God and money. Jesus talks about money more than he does marriage and heaven and hell. And he leans into it a lot because of the temptation that we all struggle with, all of humanity struggles with, to look to money to be God. That I'm going to ask money to do in my life what only God can do in my life. Money to be my security, my provider, my source of happiness, my source of fulfillment, all those kind of things. So God knows that that temptation is right there. There's always the temptation to kind of reach out and grab hold of what's right in front of us as opposed to living by faith and looking out on eternal investments. And he knows that we're apt to do that. So he presses into that a lot in the scripture and helps us to kind of clarify and define those roles. So that's what we've been doing here for the last few weeks. And we've learned things like this. We've learned that money is not evil. That's a misnomer. It's a misquote of the Bible. The Bible says that money is the root of all kinds of evil, but there's nothing evil about money. Money's amoral. It's just a thing. It's, it's an inanimate object. So we said it's not that money's evil. It's just that money is dangerous. It's not about wealth. It's about greed, for instance. And so you just kind of have to handle it well. We learned that money is not a trophy. It's a tool. So the guy with the most toys, he dies. Everybody does. So it's not about getting the most or having the most. It's about using what God has given us correctly. And so we said it's a, it's a tool. And so money is a dangerous tool. It's like a chainsaw. They're very helpful and very dangerous. You just have to use them correctly. And then we learned this idea that money is not an economic currency. It's a relational currency. And so Jesus says that. He says you should use your earthly wealth in relationships, to to build friends and relationships with other people that have eternal value to them. And then last weekend, Pastor Ryan taught us that it's all about where we aim our earthly wealth. If we aim it just to build an earthly wealth, it's all gonna go away. But if we allow our earthly wealth to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, it's where we aim our life is kind of the critical issue when it comes to money. So great stuff. It's all out there on the app online if you want to listen to it and catch up with it. This weekend, as we kind of wrap this up, I I want to put a a capstone on the conversation. And I wanted to kind of give you some thoughts and some phrases that you could carry through life with you that would remind you of all of these truths that we've kind of investigated over the, the last few weeks. And to do that, if I was summing up kind of Jesus's perspective on money, I actually would use this phrase, we used it a few weeks ago, but I think it captures the idea, and it's this phrase, that money is never about money. It always reveals the heart. And when, you're, when you look at what God says about money, and, and, and even in particular what Jesus says about money, when you look at those parables, and you look at those teachings, and you look at why he talks about money more than he does marriage and heaven and hell, why would he do that? It's because he's not really talking about money. 
He's always talking about our heart. And Jesus would say, money's not the issue. I don't really care how big or small your house is. I don't care how new or old your car is. I don't care about your investments. Those are not the issues. I cause it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For me, Jesus might say, money's not about money. It's about the heart. And what I want you to do as my followers is to use your money to understand your heart. You look through your money and you will have a clear vision of your heart and how you value money and how you lean into money and how you prioritize money, how you spend money. All of that just reveals actually where your heart is. In fact, we could say this. We could say we have not had a series about money if you think about it and go back, I, I've given you no financial principles. Didn't tell you how to invest a nickel over these last weeks. We haven't really talked about money. What we've talked about is faith and trust and where we place our hope and what we call lordship, who rules my life. That's what we've been talking about because that's what Jesus is driving at. Money's never about money. Money is about our hearts and where our hearts lie and who rules and reigns in our hearts, who defines and directs us. And Jesus would say, I'm, I'm gonna use money. It's a tangible thing that you can get your head around and it becomes a window that you can look through. And when you look through that window, you will see your heart. And what does your money tell you? What does it tell you about your heart and your position and your relationship with me? Because I want you to take that and I want you to use that kind of that tool to look and say, I'm building my life on the right foundations. I'm investing my life well. I'm living my life for the right person. I'm looking eternally, not temporally. And I'm gonna create a foundation for my life that goes beyond this life and into my real life, my eternal life, and my money helps me to gauge that and understand that. This idea of foundations is a big one in the Bible. Jesus actually talks about this. I wanna show this to you and kind of make it the focal point of our conversation this weekend. So if you got a Bible, grab them and open them up to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible, there's somewhere in the chairs. It's page 679 in those Bibles. And if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, you want one, just take one of those with you and keep it. And all this is on the app too, if you wanna use that. Matthew chapter seven, verse 24, Jesus is talking about this idea of foundations and life is about the foundation that I build it on. This is one of his most famous teachings. He says this in verse 24, chapter seven of Matthew, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus would look at us and say, it's all about the foundation that you build your life on. If you build your house, your home, your life on a rock, the storms that are gonna come, the storms are inevitable, they're gonna come when it beats against that house because it's on the right foundation, the house will stand if you build that house on sand, the storms that are gonna come are gonna beat against that house and that foundation is going to erode. And Jesus puts this out as a metaphor and says that this is about money and life investment in general. It's the foundation that you build it upon, not the structure that you create with your life. Let's talk about this for a minute. When, when I think about a house built on a rock, I get an image like this in my mind, right? That there's a house on a rock, the storms come, they beat against it and it stands. And here's the temptation when it comes to our relationship with God and money. The temptation is this, to look at the scriptures and say, God gives us great financial principles in the scripture. And I'm gonna look at the scripture, I'm gonna kind of look through and, and 
pick and choose what I want out of there. And I'm going to find financial principles like don't be in debt, which is a good financial principle. And maybe you can back it up with scripture. Uh, don't, you should save for retirement, which is a good financial principle. And maybe you can back it up with scripture. Leave an inheritance to your children, which is a good financial principle. And I have no plans at all of doing that. Uh, you know, we would look through and we would say, be generous, tithe, those kind of things. Good financial, financial principles in scripture. And the temptation is this, that I'm gonna take some of these principles that are in scripture, some are, you're stretching and some just aren't there, but they're good financial principles. You're gonna take those things and I'm gonna build a really killer house with it. And I'm gonna put my financial house in order. I'm gonna have plenty of money and plenty of retirement and spend less than I make and drive the used car and pay cash for everything and be charitable and that whole mix. And I built this really, really great house. And the great temptation when you talk about God and money is to take biblical principles that will say that God gave us and I'm gonna build my money around them and I'm going to have a solid financial house. And if we approach the scriptures and we think that that's God's view of God and money, what will happen is we will build a really solid house on sand. Because that house is well built. But the reason that this house can withstand this storm is not because of the house, it's because of the rock that it's on. It draws its strength from its foundation, not its construction. You take that same house and you put it on sand and you throw those storms at it, that house will fall. And Jesus is looking at us and saying, be, be careful with this. It's not the house, it's the foundation. And you, you organize your finances in wonderful ways. And by the way, that's a very wise thing to do. It's not that it's foolish, but it's not gonna withstand a storm. And if you wanna grab the best and clearest financial principles out of scripture, you will, you will build your finances almost the opposite of the way every financial investor will tell you to build them. So you gotta be careful with that because you can pick and choose and there's wisdom in it. But if you're gonna pick and choose then I'm gonna pick and choose and I can convince you that we're all supposed to live in poverty and give every nickel we ever make away. I do the same thing with the book. And Jesus would back up and say, I'm actually not talking about either of these things. I'm not talking about gaining massive wealth or living in desperate poverty. I'm talking about the rock, not the house. And if you don't build on the rock, the storms will come because they're gonna come. Financial storms come. There, there's a, a decent probability that most of us are gonna get nailed financially throughout our life. That's the way the economy works. It runs in cycles, right? Some of us are old enough that we, we just bought every website imaginable and that's all gone. And then we thought, ah, we recovered and we got into real estate. When'd you buy your house? 2007. Oh, sorry, sucker. You're upside down, right? Cycles come and go. The storms are going to come. And Jesus would say, this withstands the storm, not because the house was perfect, but because the foundation was. You're gonna have storms of poverty that are going to blow against your financial house and the people that live in it. And the flood is gonna raise and the wind is gonna beat against it. And this house needs to stand and it will only do it because of the foundation. I am a person, I'm a child who lived through a, the, the hurricane of poverty. When I was 12, my dad had a massive stroke. He was 48 years old, wiped him out, ruined his ability to make a living. I went from a middle-class, healthy family that never really thought about money that much to an impoverished family. I remember when they came and got the travel trailer. I remember when mom had to go in and talk to the school and work out a deal so we could go there because they couldn't pay tuition anymore. 
I remember the people of church bringing the groceries over and filling our cupboards. I remember when the lawnmower broke, we couldn't go to Kmart and buy one. We didn't have the money. A lady at church bought us one so that I could mow the grass with it. I remember that. I remember when mom went to work. Mom had been a stay-at-home mom since she was 17. No work history, no defined skills, no education, suddenly had to be the breadwinner of our home. I remember when she got a, middle, uh, a minimum wage job in a kitchen of a nursing home. I remember when she went to night school because she got a 12-year-old. She had to support us. I remember when Social Security turned down dad's disability and we didn't have any health insurance and no money coming into the home. So I remember when the hurricane of poverty nailed our house. Number one reason given in North America for divorce is financial tension. Number one reason for stress in North America is financial. Number one reason given for relational breakdown is financial. As the storm attacked my home, it never even crossed my mind that my parents would divorce. They never looked at each other. Why didn't you take better care of your health? Why didn't you finish school? Never. They, they never looked at God and said, where are you, God? Because when you don't have money, two biggest lies that are in our culture today about finances is this. Number one, that financial blessing is a sign of God's blessing. That's a lie. The old-fashioned word for that is heresy. You cannot manipulate God into improving your financing. That's a lie. Most rich people don't love God. It's a total lie. It's not even logical. The second greatest lie in our culture today is the flip side of that coin, that when I don't have money, it's a sign that God has abandoned me. So when people don't have money, they say, where is God, if you believe that? When people do have money, they say, why do I need God? I remember when all the money went away and I never saw mom and dad raise their hand and say, where is God? I was a deacon, we tithed, we ran Bible camp and you did this to us. It never happened. Why? Because the house was on the rock. And just because the circumstance changed, the foundation didn't change. And I'm sure they stressed and I'm sure they worried. But I can tell you as their child, I wasn't insulated from the storm. I was insulated from an eroding foundation. In fact, what I have found is that as we went through the storm, the foundation of our home became stronger. It's my mom and dad who taught me that pain is a gift, not a curse. Because you can praise God with greater volume in pain than you can in blessing. See? And Jesus would look and say, <clears throat> careful, because that hurricane of poverty, it's gonna nail that house. And if that house is on sand instead of that rock, it's gone. It doesn't matter how well you constructed it. It doesn't matter what your job title was. It doesn't matter how much money you had in the bank. It doesn't matter. If it's not anchored to a rock, it will crash upon itself. There's hurricanes of poverty. I tell you the hurricane that I think is more dangerous than poverty is the hurricane of wealth. Because the hurricane of wealth blows and floods and beats against that house just as much as the hurricane of poverty does. And the hurricane of wealth is many times much more dangerous than the hurricane of poverty. I can't, I can't tell you over the years how many times I've sat down and had a, a conversation that, that went some, something like this, some version of this. Hey, Pastor Jeff, <clears throat> I'm gonna start a business or I'm up for a promotion or something like that. Would you come and talk to me about that, especially business stuff? We're gonna start a business. <clears throat> you and Heidi have businesses. We own three businesses Heidi runs them, I just do this. So, we, you know, we, we know some things about that. Will you come and talk to us about how you started your business? Sure, no problem. I'm a 
I don't have much to say, but I'm more than happy for you to buy me sushi. And so we'll get, and we'll sit down and we'll talk about that. And we'll lay out some business principles. And there's some version of this, some version of the question of how did you get God to bless your business? So <clears throat> we'll talk about the, the fallacy of that question. And then we'll talk about how God has blessed us. And then here's the next thing that happens. I, I bet you, I couldn't even count the number of times I've had a version of this conversation. Here it goes like this. If God will bless my business, if God will bless my business, you know what I'm gonna do for God? What? I'm dying to hear. I'm gonna do all these wonderful things for God. If God blesses my business, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tithe off of our personal income. I'm gonna tithe off the income of the business. Really? Pre-tax. That's what a tithe is. Pre-tax, first fruit. You're gonna tithe off of that, just the income. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. If God, if God gives us this, I'm gonna do this for God. I'm up for this promotion and I'm gonna get a 50% raise, and we don't need a 50% raise. So what I'm gonna do, if I get this 50% raise, I'm gonna take 50% of my 50%, and I'm gonna invest it in the church, or we're gonna build something in Haiti, or I'm gonna do this with it. That's what I'm gonna do. I've had countless conversations that are some version of that, that if God gives us this, I'm gonna give like crazy to God. Oh, that's phenomenal, that's amazing. I could count, I wouldn't need a whole hand to count the number of people who actually fulfilled those promises. Because the storm of wealth is a dangerous storm. See? Because I got wealth, and now that I have wealth, what happens is my needs change. I need a new car. When yours running? Yeah, but man, it's got like 60,000 miles on it. It's just a piece of garbage. It's a Honda, everybody knows they don't run long. Right? I need, a new, I need a new house. Well, what's wrong with your old house? Well, I had that shack, that shack we live in, there's no way I can possibly. In fact, interest rates are going up, so it'd be wise for me to buy a new one right now. I, I gotta have, you know, I, just, I gotta get the flat screen. I, 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 we just need it. We need it. We need to take the trip. We need to, take a, we need to get away. It's been, a, it's been like a month Our needs change. And suddenly God blesses. This is what, I'm just being honest with you. Suddenly God blesses and all of a sudden those blessings have a bunch of zeros. And people who committed to invest their earthly wealth for God's kingdom, if he caused the ground to produce a harvest, they just build bigger barns. It's dangerous. Some of us are old enough. Some of us are like middle-aged, this section in particular. I see a lot of shiny heads over here. It's middle-aged people. We, we, remember, we remember things like this. I remember, you know, Heidi and I were, were young. We were so poor when we were young. We, we didn't have money to do anything. That's actually why we started businesses. It's the only way we could stay at the church because the church wasn't big enough to even provide for us yet. And so we, we, just, we just had each other. And so uh, a, a Friday night was her and me playing a game, hanging out, decorating something, right? And, and, and you, you looked and somehow that was enough. And then the kids came along and what you wanted was just to be home with the kids. I just wanna, I just wanna, I just wanna go home and be with the kids and you play hide and go seek or wrestle or whatever, you know, and, and that was it. And then the hurricane of wealth hits. And now I, I, I can't even spend time with my family unless I go on some high-priced adrenaline thing. See how it works? And if that house, I can afford to build that house now, man, with all the options and the hurricane of wealth will erode that ground and that house will collapse on itself. And Jesus is saying, this is, this is the point. The point is not how much you have or don't have. There is nothing in the Bible that says how big your house should be, how new your car should be, how nice your vacation should be. It's irrelevant. The point is, what am I living my life for? Money is never about 
money. And Jesus would say, you've got to guard the foundation because you, you put it on sand. That house was built fine. It's all the foundation. You put it on sand and one storm and the storm's coming. It always comes. It's unavoidable. One storm will wipe it out because you locked onto something besides me. Right? Now, if you heard all that and you say, well, okay, I'm in, Jeff, you sold me. I wanna build on the rock. Tell me what to do. One of the things that you'll find here at Grace Church or for me a lot is I don't give a lot of lists because lists will usually lead you to legalism or self-righteousness. And the Bible actually doesn't give a lot of lists. There's not a lot of, actually, one of the knocks on the Bible is it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's actually not really that true. There's a lot of bees and don't bees, right? So we don't give a lot of lists. And financially, there's not a lot of lists in the Bible because it, a list will lead to legalism. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. You're only supposed to have this big and how dare you drive a new car and blah, blah, blah. Legalism and or self-righteousness. You can do the five things on the list and these people can't and that must mean that God's blessing you and he's not blessing them, right? So in finances, God and money, the God doesn't give a lot of lists. There are a few things that I would be indicators in the Bible, things like tithing, which, is, which means first fruits, we're to bring them to the house of the Lord. Our pre 10% of our pre-tax income is a tithe. Things like care for the poor, command those who are rich. If you've eaten today, taken a shower, have a house, have a car, and can change your clothes, you're in the top two percentile of the wealthiest people on planet Earth. So everybody in here is the rich. And God would say, those of you who are rich, care for the poor. Things like equality. And God means by equality is this. He doesn't mean socialism. He means if you eat, make sure your brothers in Christ eat. Before you buy your 4K TV, make sure they have food in their belly, right? So equality. So there's a few things like that, but even those things play out differently in different situations. Because what's a poor person? What's a hungry person, right? And so suddenly you, you have to be led by the Lord. And if I gave you a list, you, you would lock into that legalism and say, I gotta do these things. Or you become self-righteous, you would say, I did these things. And you never have to involve God in being legalistic or being self-righteous. It requires no relationship with God to be either one of those things. So Jesus would look at us, I'm pretty sure, and say, I don't, I don't want you to have a list. I don't want you to be self-righteous. I want your mind to be renewed. I want you to think differently. And I want you to approach your, your finances with a different mindset. And the mindset that God would want us to have, this is a church word, I'm just gonna teach it to you, is, is what we call a kingdom mindset. So Jesus says, I've come to establish the kingdom of God. And if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I become a citizen of the kingdom of God. So spiritually, I'm not a North American citizen or a citizen of the state of Ohio. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. My loyalties lie in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God works differently than our earthly culture does. So one of the ways that God renews my mind is he renews my mind by helping me to think like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God even has its own economy, right? We approach money differently. We approach ownership differently, all that kind of stuff differently. So God would say, develop a kingdom mindset. And if you approach your finances through a kingdom mindset, you'll wind up building on the rock. If you approach your finances void of a kingdom mindset, you'll wind up building on sand and it will all go away no matter how much money you have. So a kingdom mindset looks something like this. A kingdom mindset would ask this question. How do I bring all of my actions and attitudes under Christ's definition and direction? That's a kingdom question. I am a child of God. How do I think like, act like, love like, and be motivated like Jesus Christ? I, I, and I don't have a clean answer to that. But as a citizen of heaven, I'm always asking that question. How, how, how do I in my family, in my dorm, on my team, in my marriage with my parents, my friends, how do I bring Jesus into all of that so that I am always being defined and directed by Jesus Christ? And my money would be part of that mix. If Jesus was gonna define and direct my spending and investment, how would that happen? And instead of approaching money through, I gotta give this much, or I can't, once I'm done with my 10%, I'm off the hook, right? right? Instead of doing it through legalism or through self-righteousness, I'm just always asking the question, 
How do I bring every aspect of my life under God's definition and control? That comes with a truth that I've accepted. And in a kingdom mindset, I've accepted the truth. And the truth is this, is that my life is God's to invest. It's not mine. The Bible would say this, that as a follower of Christ, I am bought with a price. I am not my own. So as a Christian, I don't believe I own my own life. I don't own my body. I don't own my talents. I don't own my abilities. I don't own my time. And I don't own my money. None of it's mine. And I wanna bring all of that under God's definition and control because it's not mine, it's his to invest. How does God, how does Christ want me to invest my life? So I'm asking completely, I'm not asking what I wanna do. I'm not asking what my financial goals are. I'm not asking what I set out to accomplish in life. I'm asking, how does God want me to spend my life and his money and, right? And then that leads us to the financial question. I wanna bring all of my life under because my life's not mine anyways. So let's narrow it just to the financial sliver of my life. And here would be the question that the goal is eternal impact using earthly resources. How do I eternally affect people for the kingdom of God using my worldly wealth? It's God's money. How would he have me to spend it? Would he have me build a bigger barn? Mm, no. Would, would, would he have me become prideful with it? No. Would he have me become ungrateful? No, obviously not. How would he have me to do it? And the Bible gives some baseline principles, right? Tithing is a baseline principle. Those of you who are rich, give to the poor. What does that mean? Give me, Jeff, give us the list. I can't and I won't because I don't know what that means to you. Sometimes, like at Grace, we'll pull our resources to give to the poor, and that's a great thing to participate in, but that's not you having a kingdom mindset, that's the church do. I did all the thinking for you. What about the poor person in your life? Who is poor? What do they need? Are you helping them or enabling them? You have to figure out how to live that command. And instead of looking and saying, how do I get out of that command? You're looking and saying, how do I invest my life in God's resources in this circumstance, right? If the church is doing something corporately, you would ask the same question about what we're doing corporately, right? When God says, I want equality, you eat, they eat. Well, how do they eat? Feed my starving children. There, I did equality. That's great. It's a wonderful thing, but I did all the thinking for you. What about the people in your life? What does hunger mean? Does it mean I haven't eaten today? Does it mean I haven't eaten in a month? You, you don't look hungry. See, you, you have to look at this. You have to walk with God. You have to bring yourself under God's definition and direction. Our finances with God, it's not about lists. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about the numbers that are in the Bible or not in the Bible. Lists will take you to legalism or they'll take you to self-righteousness. It's about a renewed mind. And Jesus is pressing in on this. He's looking at us and he's saying, guys, this is all, money's never about the money. It's about the heart. And whether you are yielding your heart to me, allowing me to lead your heart, allowing me to define and direct your heart, I'll, I'll help you lay the money out. But, but if you think you're gonna build this killer house and when you hit your financial goals, whatever's left over, you're gonna give to God, let me tell you something, the storm's coming, that house is going down. If you are a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of God, and living your life for me, your financial house will look however I decide it looks. I decide who's wealthy, who's not. Right? It's gonna look however it looks. We're not all gonna live, we're not, socialism is not what the Bible's talking about. We're not all gonna drive the same car, live in the same size house, who cares? I'm not after your money, I'm after your soul. 
And when you yield yourself to me, I will give you the wisdom and the discernment to make the financial decisions that you need to make, right? Guys, God's not after your money. God does not want a nickel from you. He doesn't need your money. He's not after your money. That's a knock on God. It's just not true. If God wants your money, he'll just kill you and take it. You laugh, but it happened a few times in the Bible. Like it's a legit possibility. God's not after your money. Heaven's not hurting. The church isn't after your money. That's a knock on the church. And it comes from false teachers who say that God wants you to buy them a, a private jet. That's where that comes from. You can buy me a private jet if you want. I'll sell that sucker and we'll go plant campuses with it. It'll be gone by the end of the week. I don't want it. Church isn't after your money. That, that's, a, that's a false accusation that's only true of false teachers. God's not after your money. The church isn't after your money. You, listen, you cannot buy favor with God. God does not run through the giving records of Grace Church to see who gave the most so that he can dish out his blessings. That's a lie. If you're a child of God, you have the full favor of God. He loves you completely. He blesses you completely. He blesses you the way that he decides to bless you. And if somebody is a part of that blessing, gets to drive a nicer car than you do, be happy for your brother or sister instead of jealous of them. You cannot buy the favor of God. You cannot buy your way to the front of the line to get to heaven. You, you can give Grace Church $10 million. It's not gonna get you any closer to the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says there is one deposit for heaven and that's the Holy Spirit. And he's given as a free gift when your sins are forgiven by Christ. It's got nothing to do with your money. God doesn't need a nickel from you. He doesn't want a nickel from you. In fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says you should never give out a compulsion. If somebody talks you into giving or falsely gives you conviction about giving or guilt trips you about giving, don't give. If you don't know or love Grace Church, keep your money. I don't need your money. God doesn't need, God's the provider for our church. You're not. Keep it. You, we should only give out of gratitude with a joyful spirit, the Bible tells us. We do it because God's good to us. That's why it's part of our worship. Because we recognize the goodness of God in our life, not because we're guilt tripping you about it. You should never give for those reasons. You cannot manipulate God's blessing in your life. Sow a seed of faith and have it doubled 10 times. That's heresy. That's what that is. God would look at you and say, money is never about your money. I don't want your money. I don't need your money. I want you. I want your soul. And I gave you this example of money not to wag God's finger at you, but because you can look through it and see your soul. Because your heart and your treasure is always in the same place. And the idea of giving your soul to Christ and loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is kind of an overwhelming idea. But the idea of my money goes to what I actually love is literally measurable. You can look at the checkbook and find out what you're living your life for. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's not dragging your money out of you. He would say, keep it. But he would say, look through that window and look through it consistently. And you'll find out where you're at with God. A few years ago, I had a guy ask me a great question. One of the best questions I've ever been asked. He said, Jeff, how do you know if somebody is really a follower of Jesus Christ? It, like they go to church a bunch, they give a bunch of money, they don't, you know, they don't cheer for Michigan kind of thing. Like, oh, like how, do, how do you, or Purdue, right? So how do you, don't get me going. And so talk about the wrath of God that's gonna come down on somebody, right? But, but he, he asked this question, he's, he, he's like, how, how do you know that somebody's actually a follower of Jesus Christ? I find that a fascinating question. I actually didn't have an answer right away. And so I thought about it for a couple of days and, and a few days later, the conversation kind of circled around back to that. He's like, Jeff, did, what, what did you come up with? And I said, this is what I found. 
I've been, I've been a pastor for 25 years now, right? So a little skin in the game. I said, this is what I found. When I trust and have confidence that somebody is actually following Jesus for real, this is what I find is true in their life. This is the habit, ready? The number one mark for me that I've seen when somebody is actually truly pursuing Christ is they stop arguing with the Bible. They're no longer looking for shortcuts. They're no longer looking for discounts. They're, they're no longer coming up with justifications about why this part of scripture, that part of scripture doesn't apply to them. They, they stop arguing with the Bible. In fact, I found in my experience, it, it's almost the opposite. They're so engrossed by God's word that I have to bring in like historical and, and context of what they're doing because they're like, David danced naked, all right. I'm like, stop, stop, right? There's a cold context to that, right? But that, that's what I find. I find that they're so eager to do whatever the Bible says that I, I almost have to help them understand it. I find that when they're in argument with the Bible, this is why, this is why not, this is why not me. This is why Jesus talks about money so much. Because if you ask me, are you in argument about whether you actually love Christ with all your heart, mind, and soul? I'd be like, oh man, it's a loaded question. If you ask me, are you in argument about whether you're giving 10%? I'm like, eh, I could actually just look that up. Are you in argument about wealthy people caring for poor people? I could, I could actually just a few keystrokes and give you a, a spreadsheet on that. And Jesus loving us, not wanting us to sell our souls, teaches again and again and again. You guys, you can get your head around this. You can see it. You can, you can know it. It's literally measurable. And so much of following me isn't, but this one is. And it's not about the money. I don't care if it's a million dollar check or the widow's might. I don't give a rip. I don't need your money. It's not the point. But I love you. And what does it profit a human being to gain the whole world and lose their soul. And Jesus would say, money, what money does and the way you spend it, what money does is it reveals the price tag of your soul. God, if you bless my business, I'm gonna give to you. All right, what's the price tag on that soul? Six figures, seven, seven? Oh, that was the price tag. That was 50% of the 50%. God, if you give me this promotion, I'm gonna, that's great. What's the price tag on that soul? What's the price? Oh, an extra 6K a year. That, that's, that's the part that you won't. God, if you just get us in this zip code, what's the price tag of that soul? Because you can do, if you just quit loving other people financially, you can afford to have, the, the price tag was the third bathroom. See, that's what it does. It's not a to-do list. It's a window. And people who look and say, I love Jesus. I commit all of my life to him. Okay. Does your checkbook? It's God, family, Ohio State. I mean, it's, it's the priorities. Okay. Does, does your checkbook, you gotta, it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. You gotta have relationships. Okay. Is your checkbook, see how it works? As Jesus loves you, he loves you. He's not mad at you. He's passionate for you. 
And he, and he loves you enough to kind of have these uncomfortable conversations. Don't sell your soul. I wrote this. Money cannot be God, but it can dethrone him in your life. It's dangerous. It's not evil, it's just dangerous. It's a tool, it's not a trophy. It's not something, something you put on a shelf to show off, something you use. It's a dangerous tool though, careful with it. It's not about the economy, it's about relationships. God gives you so that you can love people. My mom and dad, they built their house on, a, on the rock. Because the storms came, baby, and it, it knocked them out, wiped them out financially. They had to live the rest of their life with Heidi and I. We, we paid their bills. And they've been with the Lord for 10 years now. And, and if you've never done this, you probably will one day. I, I had to close down their life. It's a very weird thing to do. And I can tell you that Clarence and Phyllis Bogue left no financial footprint on this planet. When they died, us kids wound up with nothing. I mean, nothing. A used Toyota that we gave away to somebody. That was it, right? And in our part of the house, I had, I had to clean it out. I, I took their stuff. I probably took five or seven trips to Goodwill with their stuff. What do you do with your dad's paperback westerns, right? You, you take them to the recycling bin. We tried to have a garage sale. I'm the only person on planet Earth that lost money having a garage sale. I mean, we had nothing, right? And we cleaned out their house. The kids divided up the furniture. 10 years after their death, there is no financial footprint on planet Earth from Phyllis and Clarence Bogue. And their children are wealthy. Because what they gave us was the rock. We're not bitter. We're not spoiled, we're not angry. We know how to follow Christ. Their, grandch their grandchildren aren't going to college from grandma and grandpa. Their grandchildren are wealthy, wealthy beyond words. There's not one member of their family that would look at their life with resentment or pain or bitterness, not one. And we don't have a dime I was shocked how much money I had after they died because I quit paying their bills. And mom and dad have been with the Lord for 10 years. Ready? And they are wealthy. They laid up for themselves treasures in heaven. Do you think they regret that now? Of course not. You think they regret their generosity and they regret their decisions and they regret, of course not. You think they regret the pain they had to go through in life? No, because the pain allowed them to accelerate their eternal investments. This is all going away. And mom and dad use their earthly wealth to create eternal relationships. And that investment is compounding and compounding and compounding and you're being blessed by it. See? Jesus doesn't want your money. He just doesn't want you to sell your soul. And he would say, just, just look at it. Look at it. Look at the numbers. Look at the checkbook. It's one of the most tangible things I can, I can teach you. And it will help you know who rules and reigns on the throne of your heart.
the band's going to come out and what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to sing a prayer. I, I love this song. It's it's a prayer, but it's a powerful prayer. And what I want to encourage you to do is to look at your souls. I not your not God's blessing. Look at your souls. Is God reigning in your life? Do you trust him? Do you have faith in him? Do you have your hope in him? Those kind of things. And as you pray those prayers and let God have that kind of leeway in your life, if you don't know what to say, you can use the words of this song. And you can pray it. And you can allow Jesus to, to softly and gently call you back home to remind you of the things that are actually critical in life and to allow him to make you the person that he wants you to be, all right? All right pray with me as they come out. Jesus, help us with this. Help us with this, God. Me too. God, I think about all the, the time and energy and money I waste Dumb stuff that could be given to you, invested in your kingdom, God, and help us to have this, this mindset that we will have a return on that investment, but it's not on earth. So God, do that. Lord, whether you need to correct us or challenge us or rebuke us or motivate us or Assure us and encourage us. Lord, wherever we need to be with you, would you meet us there right now? God, draw us close to yourself. Give us the courage to follow as we yield ourselves to your definition, your direction, as we surrender to you. Do that work now, Jesus, in your name.